The Braille Forum, Volume 50, January 2012, Number 5, published by the American Council of the Blind. Read by Mark Delgado in the studios of the Cutting Corporation, Bethesda, Maryland. The American Council of the Blind strives to increase the independence, security, equality of opportunity, and to improve quality of life for all blind and visually impaired people. Mitch Pomerantz, President. Melanie Brunson, Executive Director. Sharon Lovering, Editor. National Office. 2200 Wilson Boulevard, Suite 650, Arlington, Virginia, 22201. 202-467-5081. Fax, 703-465-5085. Website, http colon slash slash www.acb.org. The Braille Forum, trademark, is available in Braille, large print, half-speed four-track cassette tape, data CD, and via email. Subscription requests, address changes, and items intended for publication should be sent to Sharon Lovering at the address above, or via email to slovring at acb.org. The American Council of the Blind, trademark, is a membership organization made up of more than 70 state and special interest affiliates. To join, contact the national office at the number listed above. Those much-needed contributions, which are tax-deductible, can be sent to Attention Treasurer, ACB, 6300 Shingle Creek Parkway, Suite 195, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, 55430. If you wish to remember a relative or friend, the national office has printed cards available for this purpose. Consider including a gift to ACB in your last will and testament. If your wishes are complex, call the national office. To make a contribution to ACB via the combined federal campaign, use this number, 11155. For the latest in legislative and governmental news, call the Washington Connection toll-free at 800-424-8666, 5pm to midnight Eastern Time, or read it online. Copyright 2011, American Council of the Blind Table of Contents President's Message There Truly Is an ACB Family By Mitch Pomerantz Side 1 A Reminder About the 2012 Mid-Year Meetings By Melanie Brunson Side 1 Becoming a Self-Advocate By Deanna Quietwater Noriega Side 1 It's 2012, The Year of the Horse, by Janet Dickelman. Side 1. A Path to the Future, The DKM First Timer, by Alan J. Casey. Side 1. Strategies for Member Renewal and Reactivation, compiled by Artis Bazin. Side 1. Passings. Side 2. The Pathway to Sight, by Ken O'Sullivan. Side 2. Don't Make My Mistakes, by Elisa Bush. Side 2. Here and There, edited by Sue Lichtenfels. Side 2. High-Tech Swap Shop. Side 3. Your Greatest Dream, by Kenneth Semyon Sr. Side 3. Forum Subscription Notes.
You can now get the Braille Forum by podcast. To subscribe, go to the Braille Forum page on www.acb.org. If you do not yet have a podcast client, you can download one from the forum page. To subscribe to the Braille Forum via email, go to www.acb.org slash mailman slash list info slash braille forum hyphen L. Are you moving? Do you want to change your subscription? Contact Sharon Lovering in the ACB National Office, 1-800-424-8666 or via email s-l-o-v-e-r-i-n-g at acb.org. Give her the information and she'll take care of the changes for you. President's Message There Truly Is an ACB Family by Mitch Pomerantz This is not the President's column I intended writing to begin 2012. I had another topic in mind based on a recent small difference of opinion between the NFB President and myself. And while I may get back to the underlying philosophical disagreement in a subsequent column, circumstances have changed over the past few months such that a more personal commentary seems appropriate. In late September and early October, I had three consecutive weekends of cross-country travel, to the Oklahoma Council of the Blind Convention in Oklahoma City with Donna, to the ACB Fall Board of Directors meeting in Louisville, and finally to the Michigan Council of the Blind and Visually Impaired Convention in Lansing. At the end of the month, I also was attending the Fall Convention of the California Council of the Blind, where I would get my first opportunity to see Donna preside as affiliate president. More on that weekend shortly. By the time I boarded my flight for Kentucky, I began thinking that I was coming down with a cold, something I do perhaps once or twice a year. Things went downhill from there, and by the time I arrived home from Michigan, I had a fairly serious cough. During that week, I began experiencing significant pain in my neck and shoulders, which radiated down through my arms and all the way to my knees. Making matters worse was a loss of strength and mobility in my right arm, along with some neuropathy, which thankfully did not affect my braille-reading finger. Early in the week prior to the CCB convention, and after several days on a general antibiotic, I was told things were improving, although I didn't feel much improvement. On October 28th, I went to the convention hotel where I immediately ensconced myself in our room. I attended the Thursday evening CCB board meeting, an access and transportation committee meeting on Friday morning, and the opening general session on Friday afternoon, where I did get to see Donna serve as presiding officer. I then went back to our room to rest until we were scheduled to attend a dinner for local affiliate presidents. Around 5 p.m., I received a call from my treating physician ordering me into the hospital for tests. She had finally gotten the results of an MRI I'd taken the previous Sunday evening. There was evidence of a serious infection in my neck, and I needed immediate treatment. Donna's parents, who were serving as convention volunteers and who are two of the most wonderful people anywhere— drove Donna and me to the Kaiser Hospital in Los Angeles. Among the highlights of that night were 12 hours in the ER because there were no beds available in the neurosurgery ward, and a visit from the neurosurgeon in charge of my case who informed me that, in his opinion, I should immediately undergo neck surgery to clear out the infection. After hearing him tell me there was no guarantee that the surgery would ameliorate the symptoms, 
I declined surgery and chose a multi-week treatment with antibiotics through an infusion pump. To make a long story a bit shorter, I was in the hospital for six days. I spent a lot of time training two shifts of nurses about the capabilities of blind people. Most of them got it, I think. I spent nearly 90 minutes in an MRI chamber and had a needle biopsy under a very local anesthetic. By the way, the Marathon MRI is not recommended for anyone who is slightly hyperactive or has excellent hearing. The doctors did find an antibiotic which does an excellent job dealing with what turned out to be a staph infection. And no, we haven't a clue as to how I picked it up. At this writing, the weekend after Thanksgiving, the infection is improving, although my back and neck are still very stiff and sore, something I may end up living with indefinitely. I should have a more definitive idea of the long-term prognosis after meeting with that aforementioned surgeon in early December. The real reason for the above narrative isn't to evoke sympathy. During my hospital stay, and since returning home, I have received calls and emails from literally scores of ACB members. Yes, many of them close friends and colleagues, but many more folks who might only met once or twice at various functions. Those calls and emails have made it abundantly clear to me that the American Council of the Blind is far more than an advocacy organization. It is, we are, a family. On occasion, that family is dysfunctional. The more active members of that family sometimes become frustrated with the more passive ones. There is gossip, sniping, and many of the other less positive endeavors encountered within families. Anyone reading this who is subscribed to either of ACB's general interest lists is more than aware that the Kumbaya spirit is occasionally absent from the discussions, despite the best efforts of the list moderator. However, like most families, we honestly and sincerely care about one another. Since September, three other ACB leaders, Burl Colley, Marlena Lieberg, and Paul Edwards, have experienced health-related setbacks. They are all improving, but the outpouring of support for their individual recoveries has further demonstrated that we truly care about the welfare of each member of the ACB family. The same is true when we learn about the illness of a rank-and-file member of our organization. Their status doesn't matter. What matters is that they are a part of ACB. Donna and I are tremendously appreciative of the expressions of love and support we've received since October, and I am incredibly proud to be serving as president of an organization whose members see themselves as part of a large and diverse family, warts and all. It is far easier to fight in the legislative and advocacy trenches on a daily basis if you believe that you're doing what you're doing for your family. From now on, that's how I'm going to view the work I've still to get done as your president. A Reminder About the 2012 Mid-Year Meetings By Melanie Brunson I'd like to begin my article this month by wishing all of you a happy 2012. The new year promises to be a busy one for ACB and its affiliates. We are expecting significant activity this year on issues such as accessible prescription drug labeling, special education, vocational rehabilitation, and a wide range of transportation issues. In addition, our work on audio description and other telecommunication issues will continue, and legislative activities are only a part of what's in store for ACB in the year ahead. If you are interested in knowing more about what else is on our agenda, I hope you are planning to attend the mid-year meetings in February. It's not too late to make plans to join us, but you need to act soon. The hotel is filling up fast, 
and rooms must be reserved by January 31st. In addition to the legislative seminar, there will be meetings of both the ACB Board of Directors and the Board of Publications, as well as a meeting for affiliate presidents or their representatives. Any ACB member can attend these meetings, and I urge members to do so. A number of exciting new activities will be discussed, and lots of information shared that touches on all aspects of life within our ACB family. For example, the ACB board will be meeting for two days this year in order to devote one day to a strategic planning session. Their aim will be to try to set goals for ACB over several years. We will be meeting again this year at the Holiday Inn National Airport in Arlington, Virginia. Here are the dates. The ACB board meeting will be held on Thursday, February 23rd, and Friday, February 24th. The affiliate president's meeting will be on Saturday, February 25th, and Sunday, February 26th. The legislative seminar will begin in the afternoon of February 26th, continue through Monday, February 27th, and conclude on Tuesday, February 28th, with visits to congressional offices by participants. Room rates at the hotel are $119 per night plus tax, and reservations can be made by either calling 1-800-HOLIDAY, 1-800-465-4329, or online at www.ichotelsgroup.com slash redirect question mark p-a-t-h equal sign r-a-t-e-s ampersand b-r-a-n-d c-o-d-e equal sign h-i ampersand g-p-c equal sign a-c-b ampersand h-o-t-e-l C-O-D-E, equal sign, W-A-S-D-C, ampersand, underscore, P-M-I-D, equal sign, 9980150505. Be sure to note the group code ACB when you make your reservation. This rate is available beginning on February 22nd, the evening before the board meeting, and will apply through the 29th, the day after the legislative seminar. You can register for these events online by going to the ACB website, www.acb.org, and looking for the link to the registration form. Or you can register by phone by calling the Arlington office. There is a $35 registration fee for the legislative seminar, which covers the cost of two lunches and your materials. Attendees of the affiliate president's meeting will be asked to pay $15 if they want a lunch during the full-day portion on Saturday. It is strongly suggested that participants order a lunch because there will be a speaker during lunchtime. Don't procrastinate. Make your plans while there's still time. Join us for a fun and informative weekend, and start your new year off by making a difference for your affiliate, for ACB, and for the entire community of people who have vision loss. I look forward to seeing you. Becoming a Self-Advocate by Deanna Quietwater Noriega I always wondered why somebody didn't do something about that. Then I realized I was somebody. Lily Tomlin As a child, I was very shy. I grew up in a culture that taught children they should be seen and not heard. 
add disability to the mix, and you have a good formula for a person who quietly accedes to everyone else's wishes and is grateful for any kindness. What jerked me out of this habit of seeking approval and pushed me into speaking up and speaking out was that I had a strong belief in right and wrong. I could never stand to see a child or animal hurt. I hated bullies and anyone who used their power to harm the vulnerable. While my timidity kept me from standing up for myself, it didn't keep me from fighting to protect others. Coming of age during the Vietnam era made me question whether authorities were always right. It seemed wrong to send young men off to fight wars when they couldn't even vote for the officials who made the decisions to fight them. In my senior year of high school, I started out stuffing envelopes at the Democratic headquarters. Although I was too young to vote for him, I wanted to help elect Bobby Kennedy. Defending my service dog when we were told we couldn't come in or use a public service taught me how to defend my rights under the law. Becoming a self advocate begins with recognizing that there is an issue or problem. If no one tackles it, then it might never get solved. You may not know what should be done about a particular situation, but if you don't start looking for answers, then you might not like the solutions that others choose. Sometimes it may feel as if you are trying to shovel water when changes don't happen as quickly as you hoped. The things I have learned, though, is that democracy isn't simple or easy. We are a diverse nation with the right to express our opinions. We can use our power at the ballot box to elect people we believe will represent our values. We can let them know when the laws they pass might adversely affect us. We can make a phone call, send an email, write a letter, or ask a question at a public forum. We have as much right as anyone to do these things because we live in a country founded on our right to do so. The flip side of this is that if we opt out of participating, then others who may hold opinions different from ours will carry the day. Living in a democracy means taking our responsibilities to be an active part of the process. Voting, reading about the issues, and making our opinions known is what must happen if the system is to work as it should. We are the people, too, whose will is supposed to be the driving force of the democratic governing system under which we live. It's 2012, the year of the horse. By Janet Dickelman. 2012 is the year of the horse, at least for those of us who will be attending ACB's 51st annual conference and convention in the Bluegrass State. As promised, here is a sampling of tours. Please keep in mind that this schedule is tentative and subject to change. Friday, July 6th. 1. Breakfast at Churchill Downs. 2. Abraham Lincoln Birthplace and Museum Tour. Includes lunch. 3. Kentucky Bourbon Trail. Visit Buffalo Trace, Woodford Reserve, Wild Turkey. Lunch included. 4. Kentucky Speedway Nationwide Race. Dinner included. Saturday, July 7th. 1. Kentucky Horse Park Ride for Hope. Includes trail rides, museum, blacksmith, gift shop, and horse show with an opportunity to pet the horses. 2. Kentucky Bourbon Trail. Visit Maker's Mark and Four Roses. Saturday, July 14th. 1. Dillon Amish Country Tours. Enjoy a family style lunch including three meats, many garden vegetables, homemade breads, and desserts served in the homes of Amish families. Visit a buggy shop, quilt shop, bakery, and general store. 
learn about the Amish lifestyle and philosophy. 2. My Old Kentucky Dinner Train. Enjoy dinner and a mystery theater production, which may include audience participation while traveling the rails. During the week, we'll visit some familiar favorites American Printing House, Shimp's Confectionery, Louisville Slugger Factory, and Museum and Glassworks. We'll also visit some new sites, including the Huber Family Farm, the Waverly Sanatorium, and the Toyota Plant. For the adventurous, we're hoping to do some canoeing, and for the museum buffs, the Thomas D. Clark Center for Kentucky History. In the next several articles, we'll be focusing on features of the Galt House. This month, it is Thelma's Cafe. Located in the conservatory on the second floor, Thelma's is open 24 hours a day. Start your day with coffee, tea, juice, latte, or cappuccino. For breakfast, choose anything from a fruit and yogurt parfait to muffins, Danish, or a breakfast sandwich. Thelma's serves wonderful deli sandwiches and paninis, along with a variety of soups and salads. Dessert lovers rejoice. They have several desserts. And they also serve Haagen Dazs ice cream. Prices are very reasonable. Sandwiches run from $6 to $7. Morning Bakery is in the $3 price range. All Galt House menus will be available in Braille and large print. Rooms at the Galt House are $85 for a standard room in the West Tower and $105 for a one bedroom suite in the East Tower. To make reservations, call 1 800 Make sure to mention that you are with the ACB convention. You can also reserve your room online, https colon slash slash reweb dot passkey dot com slash go slash acb 10712. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me via email, janet dot D-I-C-K-E-L-M-A-N at gmail.com or via phone 651-428-5059. A Path to the Future The DKM First-Timer Program by Ellen J. Casey Developing new leaders is a key objective of any organization committed to growth, success, and survival. In volunteer organizations, Individuals step forward without regard to compensation and similar rewards or public recognition. They bring their unique talents and willingness to serve to the table for the good of the organization. ACB, its members, and its leaders are no different. Election of members as officers and to the board and appointment of members to standing committees are two manifestations of leadership recognition and development within ACB. But there is still another path to leadership in ACB. The Durward K. McDaniel First Timer Program, which recognizes at least two individuals annually as rising leaders. Created more than 15 years ago to honor the unique contributions of ACB pioneer Durward McDaniel, the DKM First Timer Program offers members the opportunity to experience the week long panorama of education and fellowship that is ACB's National Conference and Convention. The First Timer Program is open to any ACB member in good standing who is at least 18 years of age, blind or visually impaired, and has never attended the National Conference and Convention. Each applicant must submit two letters to the ACB National Office. One, 
a statement of the applicant's interest in the DKM program, and a personal narrative describing the benefits of the award to the applicant as well as to the applicant's affiliate and the community at large, and two, a letter of sponsorship from the president of the applicant's ACB affiliate. Recipients will attend the 2012 National Conference and Convention in Louisville as guests of ACB and the DKM Committee. Reasonable travel, lodging, and conference costs will be covered in addition to a per diem stipend for meals. DKM recipients are expected to be active participants in conference activities. Letters should be directed to Dion Matthews in the National Office and must be received no later than April 1, 2012. Questions regarding the program may be referred to DKM Chairman Alan Casey at 336-222-0201 or mahatmaac at aol.com. Leadership is an asset critical to the survival of all organizations. New leadership nurtures and sustains survival into the future. DKM first-timers are among those new leaders who will assume key roles in organizational affairs at the local, state, and national levels. Strategies for Member Renewal and Reactivation Compiled by Artis Bazin Our most recent focus call was on the topic, Strategies for Member Renewal and Reactivation. Participants on the call seem to agree the collection of dues should start at least from October to March and continue throughout the year for those attending meetings later. Most affiliates need to have the dues received by a specific date to have them sent to ACB so the affiliate gets as many votes as possible at the annual ACB convention. State and special interest affiliates also generally have a cutoff date for chapters to submit in order to certify members for conventions and have their votes count. We discussed various ways to make this happen more easily. Some suggested having a dues payment option on convention registration forms for renewing dues for the coming year. Some affiliates would have a harder time doing this because of the number of chapters and special interest groups in their state. Special interest affiliates might find this easier to handle. It was thought it might be a way to get dues from additional people as they pay for convention registration, especially those who don't regularly attend local chapter meetings. End of Side 1 Side 2 The Braille Forum Volume 50 January 2012 Number 5 This side contains Passings The Pathway to Sight By Ken O'Sullivan Don't Make My Mistakes By Elisa Bush Here and There Edited by Sue Lichtenfels Continuing with Strategies for Member Renewal and Reactivation Compiled by Artis Bazin Discussion turned to the problem of reactivating members who haven't been coming for a while. Dues renewal time is an excellent time to contact past members, current members, and potential members, those you have met at some time in the community. In order to contact members and past members, it is essential for someone to have a good database of members for your organization. The more information the affiliate has, the better off it will be. Each chapter and affiliate should collect the names, email addresses, mailing addresses, phone numbers, and alternate format for sending publications. Each year, the person in charge of the database needs to check the data when calls, emails, and mailing notices are sent. 
The database should keep past members' information, as well as blind friends' contact information, to have the capability of contacting them in case someone may now be interested in your chapter affiliate. Members who do not renew should be coded with a note why they have dropped. If you have a phone tree or phone committee that reminds each member about meetings and activities, add a reminder about their dues. A phone message instead of a mailed letter will likely get a better response. If you send a solicitation letter, you should offer to read it to members. As you call members, make sure they realize what is happening in the affiliate and in ACB. Thank members for paying their dues in the past and tell them as much about your upcoming activities as possible. Send an email message or call to follow up with members who haven't paid dues. Check on those who have not attended meetings and express your concern. You might want to call your contact group a communication team instead of a membership committee. Communication is generally the key to successful membership building. You might call it member schmoozing, but it is just keeping in contact. An email list for prospective and current members allows everyone to know what is happening within your group. You should be sending messages to anyone who wants to know of your activities or blindness related information. When a new person attends, ask for dues and get them in as soon as possible. We then compared different types of data collection and distribution of mail or email to members and others on the database. Most Microsoft Office programs work. Word has a mail merge function. If you use Excel as your database, it also has mail merge. Access has mail merge and can also send email messages. You can use email programs to personalize each message you send. You can send a letter about what your chapter affiliate has done and its plans for the future. Letters and emails are most effective if you have a solid database. EdSharp is a free program you can use to contact people and even more effective if you do it twice during the year. Keep a blind friends list so you can apprise them of blindness activities. Some may attend classes, fundraisers, or special activities without paying dues. Sometimes a c l i c k of people will leave a chapter because there is a personality conflict. If there are other chapters in the city, you can introduce folks to other chapter presidents where these members might feel more comfortable. We talked about other strategies to get dues from those you meet. Paying first year dues for scholarship winners was discussed. Another mentioned their chapter paid dues for students after attending for the first time. Some on the call felt that giving a free membership might be a disincentive. A gift of a free membership for someone who needs it was another suggestion. Other folks suggested some ideas for scholarship winners. One was paying for expenses of winners to come to convention. The Washington affiliate has a scholarship reception for them during the convention. Each affiliate should follow up with scholarship winners after they receive the scholarship. There should be an expectation of the winners that their contact info will be shared with the membership committee. Winners should be invited and expected to be at the convention to receive their scholarship. The membership committee gives scholarship winners a backpack full of information about the organization, including the affiliate's name and contact number. Our next membership focus call will be held on Monday, April 30th, 5 30 p.m. Pacific, 8 30 p.m. Eastern. We will be discussing special interest affiliates and how they can help attract members to ACB. Passings. We honor here members, friends, and supporters of the American Council of the Blind who have impacted our lives in many wonderful ways. If you would like to submit a notice for this column, please include as much of the following information as possible Name. First, last, maiden if appropriate. 
City of residence upon passing. State province of residence upon passing. Other cities, states, countries of residence. Places where other blind people may have known this person. Occupation. Date of death. Day if known. Month. Year. Age. ACB affiliation. Local, state, special interest affiliates or national committees. Deaths that occurred more than six months ago cannot be reported in this column. Albert Bond. Albert Bond, age 80, of Nashville, Tennessee, passed away on October 9th. He was a member of the Tennessee Council of the Blind, TCB, husband of Hattie Bond, a longtime member of the Mid Tennessee Council of the Blind, MTCB, the Tennessee Council of the Blind, and the American Council of the Blind. Albert Lee Bond was born on January 28, 1931, in Brownsville, Tennessee, to the late A.D. and Rosie Wills Bond. He was the only son in a family of four children. Albert's two older sisters, Lily Young and Zelia McFarland, preceded him in death. Albert was educated in the public schools of Haywood County and attended Tennessee State University, majoring in industrial arts. He entered the United States Army on May 17, 1951, and remained on active duty for eight years. He joined the Army Reserve and served many years until deployed to Saudi Arabia for active duty in Desert Storm. In November of 1990, Albert was injured and subsequently received an honorable medical discharge. Bond joined in holy matrimony to Hattie M. Johnson on November 28, 1953, and to this union, one daughter, DeLois Jean Bond, was born. Albert taught auto mechanics in the Union City, Tennessee school system. He was also employed at Ellington Agricultural Center for many years and was owner and operator of an automotive mechanic shop in Nashville. Albert was a member of Prince Hall, Lodge No. 1. He was a 33rd degree Mason, I.A., Henry Consiscory, No. 48, Hella Temple, No. 105, and Eclipse Chapter 222 at A.M., O.E.S. And was involved in many community service activities for more than 40 years. His hobby was repairing automotive vehicles, which he loved dearly. He was a faithful member of Mount Olive Baptist Church and served as a member of the Brotherhood, the choir, and was active in the Sunday school and Bible study. He was a deacon of a long standing at Mount Olive. Albert was a loving husband and father and is survived by wife Hattie J. Bond, daughter DeLois Jean Bond. Sister Rebecca Daniel Nowak of Buffalo, New York, nephew Herbert Paula Rogers Jr., and niece Lisa Henton, both of Detroit, Michigan. One grandniece and nephew, devoted friends Wallace Robertson Sr. and Lebron Roberts, as well as a host of other relatives and friends. A celebration of his life was held on October 13, 2011. Rebecca Coral Hanson Williams. February 28, 1951, to November 7, 2011. Rebecca Becky Coral Hanson Williams, 60, of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, died November 7, 2011, at the Aurora VNA Zilber Family Hospice following a long battle with breast cancer. Becky was born in Janesville, Wisconsin, the daughter of Walter Bud and Burnett Bernie Hanson. She graduated from the Wisconsin School for the Visually Handicapped in Janesville in 1970 and the University of Wisconsin Milwaukee in 1974. After graduating from college, 
She married Richard Johnson and had two children, Maria and Tim. She worked in Janesville at the Wisconsin School for the Visually Handicapped for 15 years. Her marriage to Richard Johnson ended in divorce. She eventually married Robert Williams and moved to Milwaukee. Becky worked at the Badger Association of the Blind and Visually Impaired. She was also president of the Badger Association's Board of Directors, president of the Alumni Association for the Wisconsin School for the Visually Handicapped, president of the Midwest Association for the Blind, and a member of the Wisconsin Council of the Blind and Visually Impaired, serving on their executive board. She has been recognized for her volunteer work with numerous awards, including the Inspired by Example Volunteer of the Year Award in 2010 in Milwaukee. Surviving are her husband, Robert, her children, Maria Jake Scoville of Janesville, Tim Correa Johnson of Madison, Sarah Williams and Leslie Angove, her grandchildren, Justin, Jeremy, and Megan Scoville, and Amarin Adele, and her brother, Greg, Cheryl Burkhamer of Idaho. She was preceded in death by her parents and her stepson, Curtis. A memorial service was held at Vision Forward, formerly the Badger Association, on November 10, 2011. The Pathway to Sight by Ken O'Sullivan In 1979, Pat Fletcher lost her sight in a horrific industrial accident. Today, she has emerged as a trailblazer in the use of an amazing technology, which, in a very real sense, has allowed her to see again by using her ears. Not long ago, I had the chance to talk with Pat, who lives in Buffalo, New York. Her journey started unexpectedly in the late 90s and had more to do with her wardrobe than anything else. I wanted to discover a means where I could use my scanner to detect color, so I went on the Internet and found the voice. At that time, I saw that it was a color detector. I wasn't interested in any of the other stuff, nor did I even understand the other capabilities of the program. So I downloaded it, put my shirt on the scanner, and voila! Developed by a Dutch software engineer, Dr. Peter Meyer, the other stuff Pat mentions is a powerful method of converting visual images into sound. Soon, Pat was exploring sample soundscapes from Meyer's website. Although the results were intriguing enough to keep her going, she had yet to find the key to unlock her understanding, until she took matters into her own hands. She scanned a plastic cup and used that picture with the voice program. I turned the program on where I could use the arrow keys, then, while arrowing up and down on different spots on the soundscape, I ran my finger along the cup. I applied what I was hearing to what I was touching, and then it made sense. Pat's principal breakthrough came when she determined to take the voice beyond the four walls of her study. She searched the internet for a small video camera that she could use with a notebook computer. When I did that, that unchained me. I took a tiny webcam and put it on the end of a ball cap, and put the notebook in a backpack and put on a headset. I really wasn't expecting anything. I thought, who knows what's going to happen here? I walked out of my room and looked down the hall and nearly went down to my knees because I could actually see the blinds that were hanging on the side of the wall. Now, mind you, I did know there were blinds hanging in the hall, but you forget about every little aspect of your environment when you don't see it. It just brought tears to my eyes, and from that point I decided I'm going to use this stuff. I'm going to work with it and wear it. That's when I discovered that the more you work with the program, the more your body could understand and relate to what you were seeing. To be clear, 
The voice software does not produce a voice at all. It is neither human nor computerized speech. Those close to it say learning to use the voice is akin to learning a new language. The meaning is there, but it doesn't jump right out at you. While the technology may be complex, the concept is fairly simple. Here's how it works. A small video camera is used to capture an image. The camera sends that visual information to a computer. The voice software then converts the picture into a dynamic, multi-layered stereo sound with a rather science fiction-like quality. Pitch is used to indicate physical elevation, a higher pitch for up and a lower pitch for down. Volume is used to represent brightness. The brighter the image, the higher the relative volume. Thus, when perceiving one's front yard through earphones, a tall oak tree on the right will create a distinctly different impression than a sunlit driveway on the left. At present, the computer-generated soundscape refreshes about once every second. Of course, no description here can substitute for actually hearing these sounds. More on that at the end of this article. Pat explains, "You can develop a sense of the soundscapes within two to three weeks." Within three months or so, you should start seeing the flashes of your environment, where you'd be able to identify things just by looking at them. In truth, this is the essence of the seeing with sound concept. When Pat speaks of seeing, that's exactly what she means. She's emphatic. It is sight, she says. I know what sight looks like. I remember it. As controversial as this assertion may be, as incredible as it may sound. This claim isn't merely subjective or anecdotal; it's real, and it is only one facet of a growing body of knowledge known as neuroplasticity, which shows that the brain is far more malleable, far more adaptable than science has long assumed. About seven years ago, Pat, along with another individual blind from birth, took part in a Harvard study. By using magnetic resonance imaging, a leading researcher in the field, Dr. Alvaro Pascual Leone. Found that when sound is used in this way, it stimulates not the auditory centers of the brain, but the areas of the brain that convert sensory information into vision. Pat says, "They actually took pictures of our brains as we listened to different soundscapes, or touched an object, or heard a sound like a whistle. What it proved after they went through all that imaging is that my brain lit up in the same way that a sighted person's brain lights up when they see." To illustrate the power of the voice system in her day-to-day -day life, Pat described a recent car trip. She was able to see passing cars, lines on the road, even differences among those lines. From her place in the back seat, she could perceive the driver's hands on the steering wheel and the appearance of the dashboard. She explains, "After a point, the soundscapes are no longer soundscapes. You don't see or hear soundscapes; you see vision, actual vision." I am never not amazed when I put on the gear. At any time, I could have an experience of sight. Of course, I have continuous sight in areas that I know, but there are times when I'm looking at stuff and I don't know what it is. Pat likes the fact that the voice system is easy to set aside. Incredibly, this is something she refers to as going blind. If I don't want to see, if I just want to watch TV, I can take it off. I can lay it down. Now it takes me a minute to become blind again. I can't just take it off and boom. It takes my brain a few minutes. A gadgeteer by nature, Pat has spent years mixing and matching components to make her gear ever more inconspicuous and comfortable to wear. She's an expert. Her contacts with the scientific community and the media have established her as a kind of ambassador for the seeing with sound concept.
She is intelligent, articulate, and enthusiastic. Her optimism is palpable, and with good reason. Seeing with sound now seems to be on the threshold of a substantial new development, one that could move it into the mainstream. A pair of computer scientists working in Pasadena, California, have formed a company called Metamodal LLC. Using the voice as a starting point, their ultimate goal is to integrate software and hardware into a single commercially viable unit, a sophisticated pair of sunglasses, and to train individuals in its use. Working under a grant from the National Science Foundation, Dr. Enrico Di Bernardo and Dr. Luis Gonsalves put together a prototype. They've tapped Pat's knowledge and experience, and are working with orientation and mobility specialists to train voice users and learn what works best. Di Bernardo says, "We really want to make a difference to the end user, to empower them for their independent living." Di Bernardo, who speaks in a vibrant Italian accent, says a device of the kind they're envisioning is only made possible by technological advances over the last ten years, especially in regard to cell phones. We are piggybacking on every single part of it, from the cameras to the batteries to the electronics. If cell phones didn't push the boundaries of miniaturization, we wouldn't be able to do this. Metamodal is a term the Pasadena team borrowed from Dr. Pasquale Leone. He coined this term, Di Bernardo says. The idea being that the way we perceive the world doesn't happen in any specific mode or sense, but it really happens at the junction of all senses. I thank Pat Fletcher and her friend Carol Bartlett for exposing me to this marvelous topic. I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Pat and Carol, who were very generous with their time on a Sunday afternoon. Before our talk ended, I asked Pat to indulge me in a silly exercise. Without saying why, I asked her to complete this sentence. Using the voice system is. Her response was firm and immediate. The pathway to sight. For Pat Fletcher, that seems to say it all. Those interested in learning more can visit www.seeingwithsound.com. This site is the place to go to download the voice software at no charge. It's also a rich source of information. Following the news link, for example, leads to a well-maintained collection of annotated links to press coverage and events. Also, the Canadian Broadcasting Company produced a delightful 22-minute radio segment on the voice system. It features Pat and what she's hearing. It also includes more about Dr. Alvaro Pascual Leone and the Harvard Brain Study. To hear it for yourself, visit www.cbc.ca/quirks/archives/ Zero four hyphen zero five slash apr zero two dot html and www.metamodal dot com is the site of the Pasadena startup, which includes a number of videos of the system in use. Don't make my mistakes, by Elisa Bush. A few months ago. I received a form from Social Security asking me questions to review my current job situation, etc. I have gotten forms like this in the past, but due to circumstances beyond my control, I could not fill this one out in the time permitted. Consequently, the same form was mailed to me again, this time with a warning: 
stating that my SSDI payments may be curtailed if I do not reply. I anxiously filled out the form. A few days later, I called the Social Security office asking if they received my letter. In fact, I called an 800 number and a local office as well. Both of them checked my records and said they had never sent such a letter to me at all. Two of my computers suffered from viruses or spyware problems, and I did not get them fixed. Phone calls disrupted our peaceful home, some of them stating they were from our former bank. When we answered the calls, there was no answer. This occurred so frequently that I am prepared to change my number and make it an unlisted one. I have also filed a police report with some of the phony numbers used to con me, put fraud alerts on my bank and credit cards, transferred my SSDI payments to a different account, and called the Attorney General's office to report the incidents. I will call Social Security to obtain a statement of my earnings, the IRS to report that my Social Security may have been stolen, and check my credit reports within the next couple of months. Social Security would not change my number, which aggravates me, but I may try a different tactic for identification with my financial institutions. From now on, any correspondence I receive, either from Social Security or any other organization dealing with my financial life, will be double-checked to make sure of its authenticity. I hope you will do the same and be cautious with any phone calls or emails you receive. Here and There Edited by Sue Lichtenfels The announcement of products and services in this column does not represent an endorsement by the American Council of the Blind, its officers, or staff. Listings are free of charge for the benefit of our readers. The Braille Forum cannot be held responsible for the reliability of the products and services mentioned. To submit items for this column, send a message to info at acb.org or phone the National Office at 1-800-424-8666 and leave a message in Sharon Lovering's mailbox. Information must be received at least two months ahead of publication date. Employment Training for Disabled The Statler Center offers employment training in the areas of customer service, contact center, and hospitality for people who are blind, visually impaired, or physically disabled. Its 10-week program includes instruction in using Microsoft Office with assistive technology, as well as personal job search assistance. Training takes place at the Buffalo, New York campus and is open to individuals around the world. The next session begins January 18th, with applications being accepted immediately. For information about getting into this or a future session, contact Jeff Pease at 716-888-4526 or jpease at statlercenter.org. NASA STEM Internships NASA offers an extensive internship program for students with disabilities who are pursuing careers in science, technology, engineering, and math. Applications for its 10-week summer internship program are being accepted until February 1, 2012. Interested students should register for an account and look for internships anytime at the One Stop Shopping Initiative, OSSI. Student Online Application for Recruiting Interns, Fellows, and Scholars, SOLAR, at http colon slash slash intern dot nasa dot gov. Students must at least be accepted as freshmen at an accredited college or university at the time of the internship. Students must be 18 or over and have at least a 2.8 GPA to apply. 
Internships are available at all NASA sites around the country, but placement is highly competitive. For additional details or assistance applying, contact Kenneth Silberman, Esquire, at 301-286-9281 or k-e-n-n-e-t-h dot a dot s-i-l-b-e-r-m-a-n at n-a-s-a dot gov. Science Sense Tours The American Museum of Natural History offer science sense tours for visitors who are blind or visually impaired. Specially trained tour guides highlight specific themes and exhibition halls, engaging participants through extensive verbal descriptions and touchable objects. On February 11th at 10 a.m., join the guides on a paleontological adventure through the Koch Dinosaur Wing. On March 14th at 2.30 p.m., you can tour the museum's spectacular animal dioramas and enjoy a discussion of adaptations, extinction, and evolution. On April 22nd at 10 a.m., you can explore the scales of the universe, a 400-foot-long walkway that hugs the glass curtain wall along the Rose Center for Earth and Space, that introduces visitors to the relative sizes of galaxies, stars, planets, and atoms through text panels, interactive terminals, and models. Science Sense tours are free with museum admission, although reservations are required because space is limited. For more information or for reservations, call 212-313-7565 or email accessibility at amnh.org. End of Side 2 Side 3 The Braille Forum Volume 50 January 2012, Number 5 This side contains High-Tech Swap Shop Your Greatest Dream by Kenneth Semyon Sr. Continuing with Here and There Edited by Sue Lichtenfels Brainport Study Seeks Participants The Envision Vision Rehabilitation Center, EVRC, in Wichita, Kansas, has been chosen as one of the seven expanded sites for clinical trial research study to evaluate the safety and effectiveness of the BrainPort vision device. This technology consists of a head-mounted camera which sends visual images to a processor that in turn outputs the image as a stimulation pattern on the user's tongue. The 12-month study will allow participants to use the system at home once they have completed the initial clinical screening and training. Eligible subjects must have been medically diagnosed as blind or visually impaired for at least six months, but whose blindness is not the result of cortical injury, such as a traumatic brain injury or stroke. Individuals must be 18 to 79 years old and have completed rehabilitation, such as orientation and mobility training with a white cane or guide dog. Previous use of the BrainPort vision device, pregnancy, Regular tobacco use and allergies to nickel or steel exclude participation in this study. Participants should be able to easily commute to and from downtown Wichita for the initial training and four quarterly visits. For additional information, visit http colon slash 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 index.php and contact Shannon Riley. Research and Analytics Associate at 316-440-1528. Online Diabetes Education 
the Carroll Center for the Blind is now offering two web-based interactive courses focusing on diabetes and vision impairment through its distance learning service at www.carroll.org slash O-N-L-I-N-E hyphen C-O-U-R-S-E-S. Diabetes and Visual Impairment, a new view for professionals, was designed for healthcare, vision, and other professionals looking to improve knowledge and related skills of both diabetes and vision impairments. Participants who successfully complete the course will earn 30 CEs. Diabetes and Visual Impairment, a new view for patients and families, is more personalized and is broken into shorter segments. The lessons provide information to supplement that given by physicians and other healthcare professionals to individuals, but is not meant to be a prescription to meet individual needs. The curriculum for both courses was developed by Margaret E. Cleary, RN, MS, CVRT, registered trademark, who has over 30 years of experience as a rehabilitation nurse, diabetes educator, and certified vision therapist at the Carroll Center. For more information about these new online courses, or to register, call Brian Charlson at 617-969-6200, extension 224, or email brian.charlson at carroll.org. 2012 Tours for Visually Impaired Mind's Eye Travel offers specialized travel packages for people with low or no vision. Some of the services they provide to clients include assistance with immigration documents, baggage tags, braille deck plans, scheduling shore excursions, front row seating for shows, trip cancellation insurance, airline reservations, boarding passes, embarkation and disembarkation, orientation and mobility, and more. The 2012 Mind's Eye trip schedule includes three tours. Elegant Elba, Viking River Cruise, April 21st to 30th, 2012. Includes Prague, Czech Republic, to Berlin, Germany. Discover the natural beauty of former East Germany's dramatic landscape on an Elba River cruise. Your journey is bookended by one night in Prague and one night in Berlin. Superior First Class Hilton. You will sail aboard the fully refurbished Viking Schumann. British Isles and Paris, May 26th to June 7th, 2012. Includes cruise on the Caribbean Princess round trip from London, England. This is the perfect way to visit Northern Europe. Unpack once and enjoy England, Scotland, Ireland, and France. Boston and Mid-Coast Maine, September 1st to 6th, 2012. Includes two nights at the Omni Parker House, located in the heart of Boston and steps from the Boston Gardens and Common, and three nights at the Lord Camden Inn. Boutique Hotel located in downtown Camden, surrounded by shops, restaurants, park, and harbor. The trip includes deluxe accommodations, full breakfast each morning, luxury dinner cruise, two dinners in Camden, and numerous organized tours. For more information, call 207-542-4438 or visit www.mindseyetravel.com. Cruise Opportunities Dave Kronk from Travel One is organizing two upcoming cruises. 
The first sails to the Southern Caribbean from April 2nd to 10th, 2012. The ports of call include Grand Turk, La Romana, Dominican Republic, Aruba, and Curaçao. The second is a 10-night cruise from Rome to Greece and Egypt from April 17th to 27th, 2013. Stops include Catacolon, Athens, Piraeus, Ephesus, Izmir, and Alexandria. Book by January 15th, 2012 to receive a $100 discount. For reservations, call Dave Cronk at 618-409-0143 or email dkronk at htc.net. Blind Sailor Honored Congratulations to Matthew Chow for receiving U.S. Sailing's 2011 Gay S. Lin Memorial Trophy. Chow is a six-time U.S. Blind Sailing National Champion. In 1997, he won the silver medal in the Blind Sailing World Championships and captured the bronze in the same event in 2006. Against sighted sailors, Chow has won the Sail for Hope Regatta multiple times and the 2001 Hinman Masters as a crew in team racing. Chow began his long sailing career in 1979 through the Carroll Center for the Blind in Boston. Getting Teens Fit The USABA WellPoint Foundation National Fitness Challenge Program is a year-long program that is reaching out to more than 700 blind or visually impaired teenagers to increase their physical fitness levels and help them begin living a healthy and active lifestyle. Eighteen agencies from across the country are participating in the program by sponsoring a youth team. Funds from the WellPoint Foundation are used to provide talking pedometers, t-shirts, prizes, and fitness and nutrition coaches. To learn more about this effort, visit www.usaba.org. Hadley's Blinded Vets Initiative The Hadley School recently received a $300,000 donation from Goldman Sachs to launch a new Blinded Veterans Initiative. There will be more than 100 courses available to these veterans, with a focus on business and entrepreneurship, technology, independent living skills, Adjustment to Blindness and Braille Literacy. Hadley will also help the veterans better understand the complexity of their benefits, including disability compensation, pension, medical care benefits, and survivor benefits. Hadley will actively be recruiting blinded veterans to enroll in its programs from across the country. Thank you, Pioneers. This past November, the Pioneers, formerly the Telephone Pioneers of America, celebrated its 100th anniversary as a volunteer organization. As part of the celebration, the National Library Service recognized the organization for more than 50 years of service to its cooperating libraries. Since the 1960s, the pioneers have repaired more than 3.6 million talking book machines. Today, more than 1,000 pioneers continue as volunteers at NLS sites around the country. For more information, visit www.telecompioneers.org. New Spanish SSA Site The Social Security Administration has launched a website especially for people who speak and or read Spanish. At www.segurosocial.gov, Users can apply for retirement benefits, get estimates of future benefits, apply for Medicare and prescription programs, 
and learn about other SSA services, all completely in Spanish. Accessible pharmacy accessories. The Voice RX talking pill bottle is now available at participating pharmacies in North Carolina, with more states to follow. There is no fee for the talking bottle. Patrons pay only the standard prescription fee. Voice RX is offering a special promotion for first-time customers of their Prodigy R diabetes supplies. They will include a free seven-day pill organizer with both script and braille markings, and an audio CD titled "How to Live Well with Blindness and Diabetes." For more information, call Voice RX at one eight seven seven three one nine six four one eight. Worldwide Electronic Book Pilot Project. A new United Nations pilot project called Tiger, Trusted Intermediary Global Accessible Resources, will explore the viability of a license-based worldwide exchange of copyrighted books in formats accessible for people who are blind, visually impaired, or have other print disabilities. Participating publishers are authorizing worldwide nonprofits and libraries to use provided electronic files to create alternative formats of their books. The goal is the creation of a virtual global collection that can be made accessible easily and cost-effectively. For more information, visit www.visionip.org/portal/en/slash. Perkins Shelf Project. The Perkins Braille and Talking Book Library recently launched the nation's first shelf project. Shared electronic files. This service will allow eligible users to download digital files of books recorded locally at the library's Watertown, Massachusetts studios, and play them on a variety of digital book players. Individuals who are unable to read standard print may qualify for this new service. Visit www.perkinslibrary.org. Telephone Support Group. The Jewish Guild for the Blind's Children Vision Health Initiative, in partnership with the Charge Syndrome Foundation, recently started a nationwide telephone support group for parents of children who have that condition. The group's facilitator is Sherry Stanger. Her 18-year-old daughter Megan has Charge Syndrome. Charge Syndrome is a genetic disorder occurring once in every 10,000 births, and is characterized by multiple physical, sensory, and behavioral anomalies. The acronym stands for the cluster of features common to many children with the condition: coloboma of the eye, heart defects, atresia of the cornea, a narrowing or blockage of the nasal airway by tissue, retardation of growth, genital and/or urinary abnormalities, and ear abnormalities. It is the leading genetic cause of deaf blindness at birth in the United States. For more information. Contact Dan Callahan, director of the Children's Vision Health Initiative, at two one two seven six nine seven eight one five. High Tech Swap Shop, for sale, atomic clock, runs on two AA batteries, includes time, date, year, day of the week, and more. Asking forty dollars, check or money order only. Will send Braille instructions in the same box via Free Matter Mail. Contact Tanya Smith at sixteen sixty five Perry Street, Newport, Michigan four eight one six six. For sale.
Kurzweil 1000 version 11 with Optic Book 3600 flatbed scanner in excellent condition. Asking $1,050. Include shipping to address in the U.S. Olympus DS50 digital MP3 recorder player with earbuds, mic, and CD with talking menus. Asking $130. Include shipping to address in the U.S. Contact Laura at 979-680-0022 or by email agape dot w-e-l-l-n-e-s-s dot m-a-s-s-a-g-e at gmail dot com. For sale. Alva Satellite Traveler 44 and Braille Light 40, both in excellent condition. The Braille Light comes with carrying case, neck strap, AC adapter, Braille manual, and serial cable. Asking $450. The Alva comes with AC adapter and USB cable. Asking $1,400. Prices are negotiable. Call Dave at 519-669-1456 or send email to dvm975 at gmail.com. For sale. Toshiba Satellite Series laptop with JAWS screen reader and latest Kurzweil 1000 installed. It has a 2.1-gig processor, 4 gigabytes of RAM, 250-gigabyte hard drive, DVD burner, Bluetooth, built-in wireless, multi-card reader, 3 USB 2 ports, webcam, Windows Vista 64 operating system with Office 2010 installed. Also comes with big MP3 music library and more than 225 DVS Audible movies included on hard drive asking $600 or best offer. Email d-u-c-h-a-r-m-e dot a-l-f-r-e-d at gmail.com or call 410-382-6506. For sale. Telesensory Olympia Portable CCTV in like new condition. Comes with the main unit, which offers four different magnification settings, dimmer setting, and settings for color, black words on white background, or negative. Also includes writing stand, all original cables, battery pack, and carrying case. Asking $700, but willing to entertain offers. I will include shipping and the price to buyers in the continental U.S. Contact Lisa Calhoun at prfctpsfrm at aol.com or 757-859-2675. For sale, Mobile Phone Organizer, MPO. The MPO is a combination note-taker and accessible cell phone. Has a Braille keyboard, speech, and Braille output. Features include agenda for appointments, calculator, text messaging, and email capability. It can also be used as a Braille display for your computer asking $1,200 or best offer. Packmate with QWERTY keyboard, 20-cell Braille display, and FS Daisy reader, asking $1,000 or best offer. Braille Lite Millennium 20, asking $650 or best offer. Compact laptop with Alva 40-cell Braille display, asking $750 or best offer. Open Book version 8, $200 or best offer. Captain Talking Navigation System, 
$450 or best offer. All items come with original carrying case, cables, and software where applicable. Payment plans may be arranged. For more information, please call Kathy at 615-884-8904 or email kathy at adaptiveware.net. For sale, APH Handy Talk 2 Cassette Player has everything but microphone and carrying case. Asking $100. Pocket Talking Calculator. Asking $15. Contact Billy Rash at 843-797-7484. For sale. KNFB Reader Mobile Kit still in its box. Includes Nokia N95 cell phone preloaded with latest version of Reader, various cables, AC adapter, KNFB Reader software CD, and all instructional materials. Asking $1,000 or best offer. Choice of a brand new PacMate Omni QX420 for $1,800 or a barely used PacMate Omni BX420 still in its box for $1,700. Both units come with a 20-cell Braille display, carrying case and strap, quick start cards in Braille and print, quick start guide, companion CD, AC adapter, A to Mini B USB cable, and user's documentation CD. Free shipping within the United States. Contact Carrie Joannis at 585-348-8389 or by email sincerenature80 at aol.com. Free to good home. Large collection of mostly new 7-inch reels. You just pay postage. Contact Tom D'Agostino at 212-243-3309. To give away. Portateal Braille Printer. Print and Braille manuals included. Will include some tractor feed Braille paper if desired. No charge other than possible shipping costs. Email Jenny at d-o-l-p-h-i-n-m-u-s-i-c at gmail.com Wanted Gently used BookSense XT Contact Nino Pacini at 313-885-7330 or via email n-i-n-o-p-a-c-i-n-i at gmail.com Wanted Used OpenBook 7 or 8 in good condition also seeking private computer teacher. Contact Bob Groff Jr. at 501-589-2886. Wanted. I am looking for anyone selling or giving away Ann Morris products and phone patch cords that allow you to record conversations on tape. Call Anthony at 206-279-4376. Wanted. Donation of a Sharp Talking Time 1 talking alarm clock in good condition. Would consider a Sharp Talking Time 2. Contact Ray McElwain at 107 Holly Street, Lexington, Tennessee, 38351. Phone, 731-967-3310. Your Greatest Dream Your greatest dream can be achieved with a goal, vision, and determination. 
small steps in the right direction will get you to your destination. You can begin by identifying sources of inspiration and gathering the necessary tools, then create some guidelines and activate effective monitoring rules. Be sure to include an I can attitude, commitment, and perseverance. Then add a hefty dose of energy, enthusiasm, and adherence. Be careful not to dwell on the presence of fear, doubt, or procrastination. Involve the experience and expertise of others with similar aspirations. One key to always remember is that great achievers never do it alone. Therefore, surround yourself with people of character, integrity, and solidity like stone. Positive affirmations, quotes, and articles can be an asset along the way. Even success stories of others could inspire you to overcome feelings of dismay. After conquering obstacles, you'll discover much has been attained. You'll be glad once you witness the momentum you have gained. In the midst of adversity, there are opportunities for you to shine. Just continue to tackle challenges with an open mind. Naysayers and times of uncertainty are sure to come. Nevertheless, you must believe that you have already won. All of the above elements are essential to your success. Know that you have what it takes and be encouraged to give it your best. Kenneth Semyon Sr. ACB Officers President Mitch Pomerantz Final Term 2013 1115 Cordova Street, number 402, Pasadena, California, 91106. First Vice President, Kim Charlson, Final Term, 2013, 57 Grandview Avenue, Watertown, Massachusetts, 02472. Second Vice President, Brenda Dillon, Final Term, 2013, 313 Overridge Cove, Hermitage, Tennessee, 37076. Secretary, Marlena Lieberg, Final Term, 2013. 632 South 189th Street, Burien, Washington, 98148. Treasurer, Carla Rushevel, First Term, 2013. 148 Vernon Avenue, Louisville, Kentucky, 40206. Immediate Past President, Christopher Gray, Final Term, 2013, 94 Ramona Avenue, San Francisco, California, 94103. ACB Board of Directors, Ray Campbell, Glen Ellen, Illinois, Final Term, 2014, Burl Colley, Lacey, Washington, First Term, 2012, Janet Dickelman, St. Paul, Minnesota, First Term, 2014. Marsha Farrow, Somerville, Georgia, First Term, 2012. Michael Garrett, Missouri City, Texas, First Term, 2012. George Holliday, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, First Term, 2014. Billy Jean Keith, Arlington, Virginia, Final Term, 2012. Alan Peterson, Horace, North Dakota. First term, 2014. Jeff Tom, Sacramento, California. Final term, 2014. David Trott, Talladega, Alabama.
Final Term, 2012. Ex Officio, Judy Jackson, Austin, Texas. ACB Board of Publications, Paul Edwards, Chairman, Miami, Florida. Final Term, 2013. Marsha Dresser, Reading, Massachusetts. Second Term, 2012. Judy Jackson, Austin, Texas. Second Term, 2012. Janine Stanley, Columbus, Ohio. Final Term, 2013. Ken Stewart, Warwick, New York. Final Term, 2012. Ex officios Ron Milliman, Bowling Green, Kentucky. Bob Hache, Waltham, Massachusetts. End of side three.